it's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick -kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say All right, welcome to a special episode of the Kick to Kick podcast. Yes, the um, South, the South Melbourne Swans, Sydney Swans uh, extravaganza. Yeah, I suppose you could call it. Now we're recording on a little dictaphone. I don't know whether it's a celebration or a commiseration or a commiseration exactly. Yeah. Um, we're recording on a dictaphone, so a little bit different. We might sound a bit different, a bit echoey today. But yeah. We'll try our best to uh, to make it sound good. But yeah, we're here to talk about South Melbourne and. Yeah, big move south. Yeah, uh, north, north. Sorry. Yeah. So we've obviously we we've insinuated that we were going to do this in our 1981 podcast because things are happening. Yeah. Things are moving. Yes. So here we are now in 1981, um, and we want to get stuck into all the off-field stuff that was yeah. happening. We know about their on-field stuff and how they how they went. Um, but a bit of background, I guess, with South Melbourne, founded in 1874. Um, they won five premierships in the VFA, three in the VFL. Um, but we know they were very unsuccessful, hadn't been in a grand final since 1945, hadn't won a final yeah. since, since the bloodbath of 45. Yeah, exactly, and obviously their great, great times were in the 30s. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been steadily downhill. They're, they're not the only club who've, who are looking like this. There's a few clubs who are down in the dumps at the moment, your Fitzroy's, your Melbourne's. Yes, but if you, so, yeah, I suppose if you look at their success, they, they are the worst team yeah, in, at this stage. in the last 30 years. Yeah. They haven't yeah. won a final. Because you think we've just had St Kilda's up period, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And we've got Fitzroy at the moment winning, winning finals. Winning finals, yeah. yeah. Making it to a, no, a prelim. prelim. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, obviously, this conversation starts a couple of years previously when Alan Aylett takes over. Yes. As, as um, president and wants to expand the game and this is well needs to expand the game as well yeah pretty much told that you need to expand or else we'll die. die yeah yeah and yeah there was a report done that said that but he'd been experimenting for a few years previous with games in sydney games in different states with the um the cup what, what, what the escort cup. the escort cup exactly so really trying to expand the vfl's dominance over the game countrywide yes and make sure that the sandfall and the waffle aren't the top leagues and that the vfl really stamp their foothold on the on the game yeah and opposed to that as well the australian national football council which yes the uh the vfl one of supposed to running yeah exactly yeah so <laughs> yeah um so i guess there's four four main reasons why they left um the first one we just covered lack of success yeah They'd only made finals twice since 1945, in fact. Uh, both those times, 1970 and 1977, they lost. Straight away, yeah. yeah. And they really, own, I, they, they only just made it in, didn't they? It was either one, just a game or percentage. Yeah. They really, yeah. yeah. 
they were never in contention. The other thing is lack of support. Yeah. Like obviously, like all clubs, um, they had their loyal band of band of followers who would be there no matter what. Yeah. But they, they were never a big club, never a you know, Collingwood Carlton. No. And those and those bandwagon supporters with long downtimes just slowly disappear until there's only those real diehards left. Yeah. And who aren't enough to just keep you. To make you strong, unless you've got someone like a Kenneth Luke or someone who's in charge and feeding money in and really building it up, trying to spend some money on recruits and things like that. Yeah. The next reason is probably money. Yes. South Melbourne, they were in financial dire straits. Their ground was dilapidated. Yeah. um, Constantly a mud pit. Club uh, wasn't generating sufficient revenue to meet its uh, uh, its yearly operating expenses. Uh, it was burdened with debt. The Lake Oval was um, uh, needed improvement. Many in many areas, it was in disrepair. Really, it was falling well behind uh, uh, the requirements to, to host uh, VFL matches, uh, and the prospects weren't weren't good. Um, their debt had increased from 150,000 in 1977 to half a million by 1981. Yeah, they were losing. What was it like? About 150, 180 grand a year yeah. since then. Yeah, um, yeah. They ground. They ground needed at least 100,000 to get up to scratch at, at like a bare minimum. Yeah. And at this stage, the VFL is also going on their ground ground rationalisation, not wanting to play at those small grounds anymore. Yeah, anyway, exactly. so there was never going to be any more money for them no, to play there. They're kind of probably relishing the fact that the grounds are getting worse because it gives them more excuses to play games at VFL Park mm. and CG and things yeah. like that. So. Um, so it's, yeah, obviously thought that by moving to Sydney they'd be able to turn that around and they'd be making more of a profit. Yeah. Um, and then the other reason is expansion, like you said. We played eight games over th- over a three-year pl- period. Played eight games in Sydney, and one game in Brisbane. But our main focus was on Sydney, and uh, people have said to me then, and they still say it to me now, why didn't we go uh, west into South Australia and Western Australia before Sydney? Well, it was just so much a a definite point that a lot of the big business decisions in relation to supporting the game, um, the uh, argument for supporting the broadcasters and paying bigger rights money for television and broadcasting and advertising and with all of our marketing that we were doing, uh, those big decisions were made in Sydney. And when we played the first one, which was a replay of the 1978 grand final between Hawthorne and North Melbourne, in 1979 we played the first game, and uh, that was in Sydney, drew something like 35,000 people in a fantastic game. And I can remember uh, at the end of that game, um, aged journalist Ron Carter, at, a, at quite a large press conference, said, uh, well, um, yeah, what a, what a huge success. And I said, yes, it was a huge success, but it's the first of a thousand steps. It was in the VFL's best interest to actually have a club that was on their knees to basically force them to move mm. north. Well, they've been talking about Sydney and using that market, but the other, the other thing to remember is they can't play Sunday football at the moment. No. But the loophole is you can play it in Sydney and beam it back to Melbourne via TV. Mm. And we all know where the money in uh, that lies. Yeah, exactly. Now, now. in hindsight. But, and at the time, that's exactly probably what they were thinking. But also things like new co- new sponsors, new advertisers. It's a whole different market yeah. that you're breaking into. Um, and obviously, 
new supporters. Yes. Like the biggest city in Australia, mad not to try and get into it. The same reasons that we've had the expansion clubs we've had recently. So they're probably the main re- the main reasons the Swans made this decision to leave. So if we look at a bit of the timeline of this, Charlie. Yeah, it should be said as well, and we mentioned it before. It wasn't always going to be the Swans that this was. Like Fitzroy were already approached a couple of years yeah. before. Um, for and they basically in the exact same position. They don't have a home ground really at, the, at their own home ground at the moment. They're, lack of they're, success. They're lack, lack of money. Lack yeah. of support. All the same reasons. But they they somehow managed to hold on just that little bit longer, probably because of the success they're currently having yeah, in 1980. Yeah, really good point, actually. So yeah, they, they've been building up to this, and Sydney has been something that has needed to happen. Um, we know there was a report released in I think early 80, 1981 that said now is the time to to move south uh, to move south north. North, <laughs> move south north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so. Take us through that. Yeah, so on the 1st of July, 81, we've got South um, asking the VFL to fixture all their home games in Sydney and all the away games at VFL Park under lights. How do you feel about South Melbourne moving to Sydney? Don't like it at all. Bloody disgrace. Shocking. Yeah, it is, definitely. I've been barracking from since I was born. That's over yeah. 50 years. Yeah, we've all born and bred in the town like and all of a sudden they're going to happen away. Yeah, and they, want, game. and they wanted to play that, that Friday, the Sydney games on a Friday night as well. Yeah. Their original proposal. Um, as you can imagine, this was a massive news story and the next day, yeah. broke in the paper the next day and was probably in the paper every single day for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, biggest news in, in footy, right? So then a few days later, we had that the band of those uh, diehard supporters, the Keep South at South group, met at Lakeside Oval to discuss these things. Obviously, they don't want this to happen. No, we'll talk a bit more about Keep South at South shortly. Yeah. Um, following that, on July 29th, the VFL approved moving 11 games to Sydney in 1982. So there it is, it's done. It's done. And I'm sure they were happy to do it. Yeah. And uh, not long, well, a month basically after that, at the, the, on the 10th of September, the media reported 720 new uh, South Melbourne membership applications, mainly Sydney-based corporates at this stage. So it's done exactly what they wanted it to do. At, at this stage. Mm, there's also a few other reasons for this, which we'll get to as well. Yeah. Um, September 22nd, there's an extraordinary meeting of South Melbourne members. Keep South at South Committee win 80% of the vote, mm-hmm. which means they have control of the board now. Yeah. And uh, a couple of days later, on the 24th of September, there were reports of a rift between players and the board. And then a couple of uh, days after that, um, South Melbourne players walked out of a meeting with the Keep South at South Committee. And it should be said, most of the players were on board. They were. The original board obviously were, because they were the ones who came up with it, and the players, everyone within the club... Supported it. Supported it. Yeah. It was the supporters who didn't. Mm. The way it was painted to us, you know, there was three options, where they they could wind the club up, um, or we could go down to Moorabbin and amalgamate with St Kilda, or we could... uh, Retain our identity, but play our home games out of Sydney, and um, so we sort of thought that or the bulk of the players thought that the third option was probably the best one. And um, of course, the uh, the VFL was trying to steer us that way. And um, even when it was first sort of touted, uh, you know, it was sort of said, "Oh, we'll play some home games in Sydney," and then that became a permanent shift. And uh, by then, we'd, we'd sort of committed, and um, so yeah, we were on the on the roller coaster, whether we uh, knew it or not. Um, 
So October 2nd, South Wales and the board had talks, uh, but a few days later on the 6th, they refused to go to training. And then about a week later, the VFL refuses refused to rescind the decision to play South games in Sydney in 82. So that new Keep South at South board have tried to get them to change their minds, and they haven't. Well, I think there was, and some, there was a legal loophole there, I believe. Yeah, and the players uh, have also have recommitted, and they're saying where they want to play games in Sydney the year after. Yes. Um, and so because of this, this on the 7th of November, 17 players went on strike. Um, the 18th of November, we had the VFL agreeing to loan South 400000 from the Ground Improvement Fund. Hmm. Interesting what that is. Yeah. So we'll go into all this in a bit more detail. Then things just keep on getting a bit more bloody down there. December 3rd, we had Barry around quitting South Melbourne. The 9th of December, their VFL presidents indicated their support for the VFL to take over South. Um, on the 10th of December, still this huge fight between the players and the board. That players walk out again because the board refused to resign. And keep South at South Board. Yeah. We're talking about. yeah, yeah. I do remember one meeting we went to at, at South Melbourne where the group, as, as a group, hadn't had a chance to actually get together and have a chat about the outcome of the meeting, but the town hall. So when they called us this, this meeting, I, I just asked if the players could just have 15 minutes to have a chat before we met the board. Which was held in the old South Melbourne Social Club, and uh, basically I was told to sit down. So I got up and walked out, and half the players walked out with me. Now, that wasn't premeditated or anything, that was just the way I was spoken to. I just wasn't in a cop. And then finally, the board resigned the next day on the 11th of December, and Bill Collins was appointed as president. John Rantel was appointed as coach 10 days later. Four board members resigned. And then <laughs> a couple of days later, John Rantel quit and Quaid was appointed the coach. That's a, that's a short but, tenure as coach, isn't it? Yeah. It was, I mean, an absolute saga. Because mm. there's, there's so many diff- differing approaches to this. No, I don't think there's anyone at, at this time who doesn't think they're doing the best thing they could by the club. It's just people have different reasons as to why they want things the way they want them. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting. Um, so let's go into this in a bit more detail. I mean, now with the with the uh, benefit, of benefit of hindsight, the same thing happens with mergers that we see, or almost mergers mm. that we see, and these these groups. And it just depends on the group of how and how much the VFL or AFL want it to get these things across the line. So let's go into a bit more detail about the the move. Because yep. at first it was just considered a partial move, mm. right? They were going to move their it's home games there, away games still in Melbourne. Makes sense, yeah. Well, that's really a move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But their their base was still in Melbourne. They were still technically based out of Yeah. It. But they're actually training at Lakeside Oval still. Yeah, flying, into, flying into place. So they're yeah. still the South Melbourne swans at this yeah. stage. Um, but it was... The move was then was put forward as a way to to preserve the club. Yeah, right? it was, absolutely. It was it was basically said that we, as we just said, they're going backwards at a rate of knots. They're losing 150 grand a year. They can't afford to fix up their ground, so they're not going to start making more money. 
they'll basically ask, if we don't do this, if we don't do something drastic, we're not going to be here in 10 years yeah. anyway. 10 years, even like five Even years. less. So, yeah, and it was a letter was sent by the board to all members advertising, you know, this is what we want to do and this is why. Um, we actually have that letter. Yes, we do. And it was, it was said at the end that it was that if this wasn't approved, the club would be possibly liqu- liquidated. So made it pretty clear that it needed to happen. Do you want to read the letter to me? Sure. Uh, so written by then chairman Jack Marks, who was a lifelong Swan supporter and had become the chair of the club uh, probably at the most critical time. This letter is dated July 17, 1981, sent to all members in act of extraordinary bravery. Um, so this is what it reads. Dear member, the following is designed to reiterate the position of your board of directors on the proposal that the South Melbourne Football Club play some of its games in Sydney next season. After examining all possible alternatives, the board is still strongly of the opinion that playing a number of games in Sydney each season is the only way that South can continue to be viable and more importantly challenge for a VFL premiership. It is financially impossible for South to continue to play nine home games a year at the Lakeside Oval and have any hope of improving its position on the VFL ladder. But by playing 11 games in Sydney next season, we could turn a projected loss into a profit. The fact of the matter is that South Melbourne has accumulated losses over the years and these are growing at the rate of at least $100,000 a year. In other words, we're going out backwards to the tune of $100,000 a season. It's only the generosity of the club's directors and other guarantors that is keeping it going. The board is adamant that we must play in Sydney using the Sydney Cricket Ground for 11 daytime matches that will be televised direct to Melbourne on Sundays. South's proposed move dovetails with the VFL's own desire that a club playing in Sydney be part of the VFL competition. We simply cannot continue at the Lakeside Oval under the existing circumstances. Our ground development funds have been frozen and there is no way that the club can afford to redevelop or upgrade the Lakeside Oval without incurring unmanageable debts. We have already pointed out that it would cost some $3 million to build a new 3,000-seat stadium, sorry, seat grandstand at the ground, and at $4 a game to see a game, only $120,000 a season would be delivered in revenue, well short of the minimum $500,000 a year that would be required to service a loan of $3 million. Yeah, <laughs> they're really going into breaking it down in good detail, yeah. which is important. Yeah. Of course, if there is a benefactor with a spare $10 million to give the club, we might be able to continue in Melbourne. All of the directors hold South Melbourne and its traditions dear and the decision to recommend playing in Sydney was not taken lightly. We don't want to share a ground with another club which would lead eventually to amalgamation because we want a strong viable club playing in South's famous red and white in which is its own master. Playing in Sydney would guarantee at least $30,000 net game receipt to gain, net gate receipt to gain, plus all existing finance allocated by the VFL. Add to this the income from television rights and sponsorships and we would be in a position to buy top players and restore South Melbourne to a football power. As it is, we are a club with a proud tradition heading nowhere. The restrictions placed on us by the Lakeside Oval and the attendant problem mean that South will be consigned to the bottom half of the VFL ladder for all time. What can be the future for a club that, despite tireless recruiting and every possible effort, has not won a premiership since 1933 and has not played in finals since 1977. The Board of Management of South Melbourne Club Limited has done all in its power to come up with a solution that we would keep South at South. 
It is not a case of doing the VFL's bidding. It is more a case of ensuring that a club that has produced some of its finest players in the football history continued into the 1980s and beyond. It is not realistic to keep South at South, but we could say that playing in Sydney would keep South alive. It's not a matter of loss of confidence on the part of the South Melbourne board. Rather, we are facing the facts of economic life in sport. It is also important to note that the players have endorsed the proposed move and that coach Ian Stewart has said he would go along with whatever was best for the club. Signed, J.B. Marks, Chairman of Directors, South Melbourne Club Limited. Um, and there's a, some Latin here as well. Corvatus, uh, South Melbourne. In Latin, where is your club heading? <laughs> there you go. So some, some pretty good words there. Yeah. From Marks. And Mark. very, very clear on why, what's going on, why it's happening, and how they're going to get out of it. Mm. And they were right. Absolutely. I mean, they were, yeah. Because that, that was really interesting about the, sh- the club sharing amalgamation prediction, because that's exactly what happened yes. to Fitzroy. Yes. Um, so they made the right call in the end. And um, you, look, you can understand the passion of the people that keep South at South. Uh, and there's still some very di- heavy dyed in the wool uh, South Melbourne supporters around. Um, but the club is where it is now because of these the choices that these guys made mm. um it's re- it was really in- it's really interesting so only a couple of days after this came out the keep south at south board people came on and well, read yeah. their July fifth. yeah they they came out and and basically were like no this we can't let this happen yep. what are we going to do there's not much democracy in this there's there's five odd thousand swans supporters that weren't even consulted and uh, the members of the board went straight to the AFL and just got it through. Well, no, they opposed the move. They called for the board to resign yep. and the VFL to reject the proposal. They basically, and they obviously had the support of the membership base because they got through, they became, the, they sort of took the board, that, didn't they? Well, so, I believe that's what all those memberships being bought in Sydney was part of, was that uh, voting that would eventually happen. Yes. Um, which was, I think, for that general meeting on the 22nd of September, that they actually ended with 80% of the vote being in favour for Keep South at South. Yep. So they didn't, Sydney, the Sydney side of it couldn't get the votes at that side. No, because there were already too many. Yes. Um, we formed a committee out of the all the Coatry groups to meet the... Uh, the current South Melbourne uh, Football Club Committee and we said well you're going to put the vote to the all the members and they more or less said no we are going to make the decision and we said hang on you can't make that decision every member has the right to a vote the cu- current committee had disenfranchised the members wouldn't give them a say so we that's when Keep South at South was formed we thought, I think initially, that it was just a, a domestic problem. So we thought we, we had an opportunity to, to keep, the, keep the side in Melbourne. But it didn't really change anything because the VFL were like, no, well, the, dis- the decision's already been made mm. and we're going to stay, stay with this. And as we mentioned, that, that 400 grand, to go into more detail about that, because that, that's a bit later on, but the VFL agreed to lend them that money not as ground improvement money, but just as a loan to the club from the ground improvement fund, um, 
But one of the conditions of the loan was that the club had to commit to playing in Sydney for yeah. the next two years. Yeah. And obviously, if they're still training in Lakeside Oval, they need a little bit of money to support yeah. them. And probably... And get them out of trouble. Yes, absolutely. And the VFL are probably winning on that deal because of the TV rights and things from the move to Sydney would more than cover the 400 grand, I would imagine. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting that Rantel was appointed coach and then two days later he quit in, in terms of Quaid. Yes, um, so he, he was uh, given the coaching job and then obviously that caused a lot of issues because because of that, four of the board members resigned straight away. Mm. If I hadn't resigned, they were going to vote at a board level in the VFL and they were going to disband and the Swans. I, I was going to be the one that's responsible for the Swans being deregistered. I, I spoke to Rick and I said, you know, you need to coach. And um, he said, oh, he said, I'll think about it. Interesting enough, I hardly spoke to John, even though we're friends, but we hardly spoke about the Sydney south melbourne because i think there was a general genuine respect and friendship there so in december 1981 dr alan aylett met the 10-man keep south at south controlled club board with the group agreeing to stand down bill collins though sympathetic to the keep south at south cause realized the club would fold if it didn't make the move to sydney yeah and duly assumed the presidency uh keep south at south president john keogh was appointed vice president and former club presidents craig kimberley and george kamakaris among others, joined the new board. Ricky Quay was confirmed as coach and he gathered his players for pre-season training soon after the Christmas break. Yeah, so everything sort of has settled to the new normal after this. Yes. People who are on board, are on, everyone's there. They're, the people who were against it at least feel like they've been heard and now understand that it has to happen. Yeah. Right. So When we have to train by ourselves and get get uh, get ourselves in the gear in the fact that if this club still was able to exist we had to be fit and ready to go and uh, Browning was certainly the one person who was uh, who was completely strong very pro for uh, it's not saying at uh, a Lake Oval because the one thing that that himself and a few of us did want was success you know we we craved success and we hadn't experienced it and we were jealous of every club and player who'd experienced it so we were willing to, to go to whatever levels it took to achieve that i mean it's always going to be contentious whenever anything like this happens i mean you look at the conversations being that have been being had over the last couple of years about north melbourne moving to tasmania yeah it's the same thing yeah of a club who's you know one of the smaller clubs with a home, you know, home ground issues and stuff who've been selling some home games to be in Tassie anyway. And yeah. But it, you know, you, you're never going to get a, um, out of it without some people feeling like they're losing their identity. Yeah. But the, the people at Sydney, as we said, were aware of the fact that it was the only way to keep their identity as an actual identity was to become the Sydney Swans rather than the South Melbourne Swans. Absolutely. Um, I just want to go into the uh, Keep South at South a little bit here. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So I remember last episode when we were talking about 19, um, 1981, they, the VFL was allowed to play two games on a Sunday. On a Sunday, yes. Trial. I remember one was... One uh, Richmond-Collingwood, is that right? No, one was Essendon-Collingwood, Essendon the other one was, sorry. was South Melbourne-Carlton. Yes. And so one of those 
that game, the uh, the Keep South and South Battle Report, urged people to stay away that day. Uh, Sunday football, they're trying to make it, you know, stay away on Sundays. We uh, we ask you to sacrifice this game to try to keep South at home to prove to the VFL that... That you know, Sunday doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things we know they did was also, um, I guess, in the, the very last game they played at Lakeside Oval, they put up the black black crate paper for the run through. That's right, and they all ran around, around it. it yeah, run under uh, under advice from the coach, I think, or the captain, maybe Barry Rounds, the captain, had said that. Better go around. Yes. The club was split of players into two training groups in that summer of 1981. Essentially, there was a Ricky Quaid group of players and a John Rantel group of players. We were, we were I guess, outcast a little bit you know, led by Barry Round, Mark Browning, Francis Jackson. Um, there was 24 or five of us that were training under our own guys at the Flemington race course or at Caulfield, whatever venue we get. It, it fractured the club throughout that whole summer. And there was great mates on, on, as you can imagine, in both groups. It was just that, you know, there was a group there that firmly believed the club needed to head north and, and the other group wasn't what we were keen to stay. And for, for many of those players that eventually the decision was made to leave and, and go to Sydney, for me and probably a handful of the young guys who were single, that move wasn't as tumultuous. To the guys that had partners and some had children, it was very, very difficult for those players. So it was just, it's a slow move, obviously. Like, they're... They're still they're, they're saying you know are we going to play our home games in? We're still based in Melbourne. Yeah, we're, just, here, yeah, we're just playing home games in Sydney, and we've seen lots of clubs do selling home games to Northern Territory, yeah. Tassie, as we said. I remember in the nineties, North used to play games in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think Canberra for a time, Hawthorne playing in Tassie. Mm. I think Kilda playing in New Zealand. Yep, Port Adelaide playing in China. China, yeah. exactly. And so we've we've seen it all. Yes, we have. So it's nothing new. No, but all the all home games is pretty pretty mm. new. Um, so the Swans were unveiled as Sydney's new VFL team at a lavish function at the Sydney Opera House on the February twenty fourth, nineteen eighty two. There's a very famous uh, photo of the players photographed with Sydney Harbour Bridge as the backdrop, um, which I think was actually recreated this year because twenty twenty two is the forty year anniversary. Oh yeah. Um, so they recreated that photo with the current team. Um, it was announced that the club had secured a $1 million sponsorship over three years with Ward Transporting Group, which was at the time the biggest single club sponsorship deal in Australian sport. There you go. So it's all happening. I think there was a also quite a lavish dinner at Lady Fairfax's mansion as well, overlooking Sydney Harbour. Ah. Gala launching at the Opera House, a guest list of show business and sporting personalities, and a promise that Sydney would soon be proud to have its own Australian football team. The VFL hoped to draw 20,000 people to each of the Swans' 11 games at the SCG, beginning on Sunday, March the 28th. The matches will be televised live to Melbourne by Channel 7 and replayed for Sydney viewers on Monday nights. But behind all the fanfare, organisers admit that Sydney is still a rugby league town. Yeah, well, when we first did our little uh, venture up to Sydney, it was like going to a whole new world. And it was a bit of a wank, actually, to be honest, all this promotion and staff running down the stairs. And uh, we had a, a dinner at Lady Fairfax's place that she put on a dinner for us. And it was uh, surreal. To, and they were trying to treat us like 
you know, pop stars and all the rugby league people are treating us like intruders and <laughs> it was it was quite weird. So, yeah, was it the right move? 100%? Yeah, I agree. If you look at everything, um, I don't think there's another option. Well, well there were three options. Yep. Move to Sydney, amalgamate or fold and, and die. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, 100% the right decision because now you, you look at that club and they are one of the most successful clubs of I the last deck. I mean, it's them and Geelong really who have been the most consistently finals playing winning clubs over the last sort of 10, 15 years, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it takes them a while to get there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um They've still got an extremely strong connection with South Melbourne and they've maintained that while becoming the club that they are. So they haven't lost that history because they haven't had to share a history with another club. No. Um, so there's, I mean, yeah, th- there's definitely been bumps along the way. Oh, yeah. But history has absolutely proved them correct. Once, uh, once your man Ron Barassi gets his hands on them, that was really the turning point in the <laughs> mid-90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so there's still, then there's still, there's yeah, still a way to go. Yeah, there's still some interesting things to talk about with Sydney because... Yeah, well, we, yeah, we won't go into all no, that. No, no, no. All the privatisation yeah, things. Absolutely. Um, but it's even interesting now that whenever they do a, a supporter survey around the whole country, Sydney is the most supported club. Sydney Swans. Is that right? Yeah, so nothing to do with membership, just like a, a Supported, survey. Yeah. Um, done by Roy Morgan this year, they topped the ladder again with uh, 1.12 million supporters. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you still feel it. When you go to the G and it's a, and Sydney are playing, there's still a huge support supporter base. I was, I was there with you for Sydney versus Melbourne in that first semi final. Huge supporter oh, base. They were much louder than yeah, the supporters. Yeah. yeah. We don't need to rub that in, but let's yeah. <laughs> and um, and then you look at you know other clubs. I mean Fitzroy, we've just we've mentioned, but and they're still they're, the Lions have done a great job of maintaining that history, but it's not the same. It's uh, yeah, yes and no. It's similar. I mean, you've got the Brisbane Bears. But how often do they refer to the Brisbane Bears? No, not often. And no. it's it's, bec- it's because they were obviously yeah. a much newer and smaller club, but the they, it's not a pure club, is it? It's mm. a they did they did amalgamate, yeah. And yes, they've had a heap of success, but it's not it's not purely that Fitzroy history. And I feel like maybe this is wrong. Maybe it's because I don't know that many Fitzroy supporters, and I don't know a lot more South Melbourne supporters. But yeah. it doesn't feel like. They've maintained that much close, that as close connection. Mm. Yeah, but I could. That that's just me. No, you're probably right in some ways. I know a lot of the Fitzroy people jumped on in the 2000, early 2000s when they were winning. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, and then it kind of swayed, especially if we talk about our friend Murph, who was used to the Big Reds Roundup. Yeah, like he was he was a massive Fitzroy supporter, and then kind of Brisbane for a bit, and then now he's eventually Demons. Yeah, so it just it was. Just doesn't. I don't know. Maybe that it's more anecdotal, but it doesn't feel the same. No, probably not as much. Um, yeah. So, would you like Bobby Skilton's take on this? Absolutely. Third of July, nineteen eighty-one. Bob Skilton, arguably Melbourne, South Melbourne's greatest son, was philosophical about the club's proposed move. 
I don't like the thought of it happening and have mixed feelings, he said. But I don't like the alternatives because I can't see any future in the way things are going. Any action taken must be for the good of the club. There doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe South can start something. I, I think that basically sums it up though, right? Yeah. It was the least bad of, of three pretty bad options. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you link back to that letter that Jack Marks wrote, like... We'll be dead. Yeah. They don't want to share a ground because they don't want to remalgamate. Um, they want a viable club playing in the famous red and white, which is its own master, which they are. Yeah. So this decision was ahead of its time and has secured their, their spot in the league history. forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's never not going to be a team in Sydney, is no. it? No. No. I mean, you've got the Giants, but they're... And I like how the Giants claim to be the original, like, we're the only team that was born and bred in Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah. That's a good claim. That's true, yeah. But, you know, there's never not going to be the Sydney Swans. No. They're there. And they're, they're there forever. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, and we still get and we still get to enjoy that his, their South Melbourne history because it's just part of their who they are. Absolutely, yeah. So great, good on Sydney, hey. Absolutely. Well, it'll be interesting over the next couple of seasons to see how the change goes and you know how how they become not just the South Melbourne Swans playing in Sydney, but the Sydney Swans. Yeah, so I, I believe eighty two they kind of just they changed to just the Swans. Yeah, and then eventually the eventually the Sydney Swans. Yeah, there you go. So it's, it happens slowly. You know who they have round one, nineteen eighty two, first game. Dees. Dees. Up in Sydney. Mm, great. Home opener. <laughs> I wonder whether that was a purposeful decision. I believe it probably would have been. Yeah. Because they definitely needed the team to win the first game, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. So who could they do them against the Wooden <laughs> Makes sense. But also quite poetic in the fact that Ron Barassi was coaching the Dees. So and then would we, we know how the effect he has on Sydney. And if you remember our discussion about Barassi's legacy. Yes. Um, earlier in this year of recording, we talked about you know what was what was his biggest after he won the first play of the North. Yeah, well, right? well, I, yeah, yeah. I contend that that was his biggest greatest achievement. The other option was like his time at Sydney, which you could also argue as well because he set them on the course to what they are today. Yeah, that wouldn't be. Yeah, I think yeah. As, well, we don't need to have the conversation again. But you're right. It's the it's um. He really laid the foundations for a successful Sydney club, didn't yeah. he? Not, not a club on its knees that moved to Sydney. Yes. There's kind of a difference between <laughs> the two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, I'm sure we've missed stuff. 100% we yeah. have. There was, there'd be so much minutiae mm. in, in all of this, and, and it'd be so interesting if, you, if you're listening to this and you know someone who was involved or one of these gets out at South rallies or something and you've got some inside stories or something to hear them because we'd love to we'd love to stick them into our next podcast and things like that and yeah um, but that's you know and that just shows the passion of the, the people around these clubs and there's no one as we've said there's no one who is um who is in it for the wrong reasons or trying to snatch power or things like that they just want to see their club be as successful as possible. Yeah. They just had different ways of thinking it was going to happen and be so interesting. If, you, if you're out there and listening and you're like, you've got it wrong, there's more to this story, please let us know. Mm. We'd, love to, uh, we'd love to say more. Um, all the snippets and sounds you've heard, I'll try to put links to all that stuff as well and all the yep. research we've used. Um, also, there's a great book by Jim Main, Shake Down the, Fun- Shake Down the Thunder, 
from Ugly Ducklings to AFL Premiers, the story of the Sydney Swans, which great. had quite a bit of stuff as well, which was important. Fantastic. Well, so join us for uh, no. that 1982 season. We'll see how the Swans go. Yes, can't wait. Round one, taking the bees. Beautiful. Hooray. Thanks so much for listening.